Right, Everybody, Kelly. this is Kelly from Zinni Me, and I'm joined with Leslie Baker, a marriage family therapist in California and author of Healing Feelings. Welcome. Hi, Kelly. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I've known you for a couple of years now, I guess. Yeah. And the reason why I invited you on to the podcast, we were chatting about this before we got started, was really I wanted people to hear from someone who's been doing this. So good amount of time, and who has tried lots of different ways of growing a practice. Um, And honestly, like if you meet Leslie, she's a hell of a lot of fun (laughs) and dynamic and just, um, yeah, great to be around and her energy is infectious. So I can see why she gets a lot done, honestly. But why don't you just share a little bit about where you're at right now in your practice? You have a group practice, right? I have a, um, I'm not exactly sure what you call it because it is a group practice in terms of it's a, um, I've, I incorporated mm-hmm. and I started with interns mm-hmm. and uh, then I moved to, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work for me. I can't say that for other folks. It was a lot of work for me to just manage interns. Mm, yeah. So I brought in licensed folks. Mm-hmm. So right now I have a balance of two fully licensed vetted folks. Mm-hmm. And I just brought in, you know, interns rotate. Yeah. So they come in and they come out. And that's what was a hard issue for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so different people manage things differently for me I needed help because I was doing a lot of other things mm-hmm. so having licensed clinicians on board who were doing um what I would call leadership roles yeah was really helpful for me cool so one of my clinicians is uh, a man by the name of Ryan Guterslow and he does the clinical work mm-hmm. so he supervises the interns he coaches them, trains them, and he they are under his preview with the support of my other licensed clinician who is also a Gottman certified therapist, mm-hmm. and her name is Lamel Firestone. So she, uh, those two work together, mm-hmm. and they support our interns. Cool. And on the other hand, Lamel has her own specialty in her own right, and then what she does is she works with... Um, working all of our Gottman workshops. So I work with her and then she does that. So we also offer um, that in particular in terms of art and science of love, uh, seven principles. And so she does that. She's kind of the head head of that, mm-hmm. organizing that. And then um, she also has some play therapy training. And so when my supervisees, are learning about Gottman, so they they all do that, mm-hmm. and are learning about play therapy. Um, each one of my supervisors has gifts that they give, and then mm-hmm. I come in and give gifts about all of that. Okay, wow. So first of all, just to clarify for people that are listening outside of California. So in California, we use the term intern Right. People that have graduated and are earning their hours. So in some people, in some places, it's an associate. Some places, it's pre-licensed. So it's just, um, so it's people that have their degree, but they're getting their hours um, towards their full licensure. Right. And 
one of the things that I am really big on is when people take in interns is that you're there to mentor and educate. And I love that they're getting all this cool, specific kind of training from you and that you see it as like a gift, which I just, that is just awesome. Um, yeah. And I think, and if you guys can hear this from Leslie, it's teamwork. <laughs> it's not a one man, one woman show at all. It, it had to change. And, uh, the other thing is, is that, that California is going to associates. Yes. So as of January, uh, 2018, um, I get to update my website. <laughs> Excited to make all these changes. Uh, so, uh, so I'm lagging a little bit on on their business cards because I know, right? That got to keep up with the times. I think it's a good change, but it is a pain when it comes to all of those little technical things of where our right. titles show up for sure. So that would be a good thing. But but as far as helping people, I mean. I did something a little different in that instead of uh, I wanted the, the, the crux of our practice is to be Mm evidence-based. So it's, it's a different kind of a niche uh, because we, I I have a hard time as you well know, (laughs) to settle down into one thing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, that's how I anchored myself. Mm-hmm. And then I could anchor. So like one of my therapists does um, trauma focused CBT. Mm-hmm. Another therapist has other, you know, so everybody has something. One of my interns has strictly play therapy, mm-hmm. you know, or, or associate to be another associate to be has somatic. Mm-hmm. So they have niches within themselves, but a lot of things are based in evidence base. Right. So that way we can offer multiple pieces to the, to the community, but we can have a unifying piece as our counseling center. Yeah. I think, you know, that's what I say when you're a multi-passionate person, you have to find the common, I call it the golden thread, the common thing that ties it all together. And for you, that's the evidence base stuff. I, you know, okay. So you just mentioned, since you mentioned it, I will bring it up how it's hard for you to anchor down. And I think that this is common, um, to do just one thing can be, uh, can make some people feel restless or it's not as fulfilling. How have you managed that? Like having multiple interests, um, would you say you get bored quickly or, Um, You just are interested in so many things and so many, you know, we call it the shiny objects, so many beautiful things out there to do. Tell me about how you've learned to kind of quell and, and still have those interests, but be successful. Yeah. um, It's a hard one, but I think that it is uh, uh, a constant change uh, to, or a constant effort to keep focused. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the things that's helped me is working with coaches. 
Mm -hmm. uh, to help define what it is that I want to be doing at any given moment mm -hmm. and to get that thing done. When right. I did the world changers with y'all, mm -hmm. um, you and Joe Senek, the thing that helped me was the book one, right? I want it or something. Because <laughs> uh, I can take notes or something. It was great. The one thing. Mm -hmm. The one thing, yeah. There it is. See, I can't even remember the whole name. But okay. um, the point of it was is that, you know, I, 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 that made sense to me. And the neat thing about that is you can do that on, you know, as long as you finish the one thing, then you can go to the next one. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't no. say they have to be related. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so that, I think I've been doing that without knowing that I was doing that. Yeah. So that helped put language to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that I'm, I certainly am not perfect at it and I get confused. Mm -hmm. And so I also have admins mm -hmm. that help. I, I have actually I have two. So mm -hmm. I work with a virtual assistant and I work with an in-face person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because virtually I'm a visual and I'm a hands-oner. Yeah. So I was finding that I had to do something uh, that I could touch someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not literally, but uh, <laughs> that didn't come out right. But uh, that I could have somebody in yeah. my office holding me to task. Yes. And then I could also have phone and video conversations with my other person. So I've been able to divide tasks in a way that work for me to stay focused. Yeah. So that's been a helpful thing. And, and then I'm also a list maker. Yeah. So, and, and then I focus on, okay, so this week we're doing the Gottman training website. And then once that's done, I'm doing this. And once that's done, I'm doing this. And, and sometimes it is utter chaos. Uh, but I don't, I have a really good memory. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that helps. So I can pretty much pull this and pull that. And I'm a quilter, so that's kind of the Aww. thing that I use. Nice. I don't quilt much, but when I do, it's kind of like piecing all the pieces together. Yeah. And then you can stitch them. And, and it may take me forever to quilt the three layers together, mm -hmm. but I got the top. Okay. I like that metaphor. That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, you know, I, back to the assistant thing, you try something, you figure out what works. We did a virtual assistant for years. And then once we had an in-house, we are like, oh, that's what we needed. And we still use virtual assistants for like specific projects. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's not an assistant or maybe it's a copywriter or a designer or something like that. Right. That's okay for projects. But for that ongoing daily task stuff, like having someone in the flesh is very helpful. And um, I mean, I'll give people a sense of what I know about you you know, you're doing Gottman, you train play therapists, um, you are a writer, you are a speaker, and then you have your practice. What else am I missing here? Is there more? Um, I'm working and doing some online trainings now. I have a great gift in that my husband is a trainer mm -hmm. for things that are not therapy. Uh-huh. So I just did a, and have for years, worked in the area of uh, suicide loss and prevention. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just did a, so I do a lot of free, um, uh, twice a year I do a suicide loss and prevention. And then I do work 
with the local AFSP, American Foundation for mm-hmm. Suicide Prevention. Yeah. And we do, uh, they do a na- internationally a Suicide Loss Survivors Day. Yes. They do a little bitty talk. But on the prevention one, he came and videotaped it. Uh-huh. And he has been working for hours. I don't know how he does it because it's not something that I can stay focused on. So he, we are going to offer that training for free. Awesome. And it's really for caregivers and loved ones. Yeah. But it'll be offered for free online for people, even clinicians who want to look at uh, what we call factors in prevention. Yeah. Aside. That's who uh, we donate to for Project Rebel stuff is for suicide prevention. I love their work. And I do too. I think like that's another example of how you can do one thing in one place and then duplicate it to serve others, you know, taking a recording or something like that and having it still help, which I would say is also like what you've done with the book. So can you share a little bit about when you wrote this book and why? So thank you for bringing that up. Um, so in, in actually the late 90s, um, well, early in my life, um, my children are all grown and happy to have them um, <laughs> and, and just love them to bits. Um, I suffered greatly from a severe case of postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. after the birth of my first and second, it was much more severe after my second child, which is often the case clinically. Um, and so I had a lot of sadness about the fact that here I am a young mother and I was a therapist at the time. I could identify what it was. I knew what was happening. I could even get help for it, but I had a difficult time under uh, explaining to my children Um, what this was. And I was in bed a lot. I took off a couple of years uh, to cope with this. And uh, it was very challenging. Mm. Um, So I looked for books because I was trying to find some books to share with my children to explain what uh, mommy was going through. And uh, unfortunately, the books that I found at the time, this was probably in the early 90s, uh, were very negative. And I'm not saying that that isn't some people's experience. I can understand that. But they were people throwing away bottles of pills and saying basically to children that it's hopeless and there is nothing that can help. And I felt devastated. Mm. And so once I was better and able, somewhere in the late 90s, I wrote this book. And I love Dr. Seuss. And so Mm. I wrote a rhyme about it. It came to me at 3 a.m., Mm-hmm. I woke up out of a dead sleep and I sat down and I, and so it's had some edits and things since then, but then I stuffed it in a drawer and I never did anything with it. Um, for all the reasons why I think I can say that I did that, which is, you know, it's nobody needs to hear this. I'm ashamed to show it. People are going to read this and think I'm cuckoo. Um, and all those reasons. So finally I pulled it out of the drawer and I did submit it around and that was hard because there was about 6 million. Well, there wasn't that many. I didn't, I didn't have that many stamps. uh, It it felt that way though. Right. Uh, so a lot of rejection letters. And then finally I got it published through, I suppose what you say, partly vanity and partly evaluative 
publishing mm-hmm. and um and 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 i you and so I published it and and I ended up with a really lovely uh artist named greg white mm-hmm. and uh and there it is, so healing feelings initially, it was published in two thousand and ten, and uh I found uh the publisher went out of business relatively quickly, and I didn't do anything with it for a while. So then time passes and I decided to go ahead and republish. And that's what we've just done. Mm -hmm. So I made a bunch of edits and uh, we were able to keep the artist and uh, keep the folks and uh, that, that did the beautiful artwork. Mm -hmm. And uh, here it is. So we're actually relaunching it Mm -hmm. and, um, and here it is. So the focus of the book is, to help a parent, a caregiver, a therapist, a social worker, anyone who's a caregiver, an adopted parent, um, uh, anyone who's working with kids, to, to sit down with them and open the conversation. It talks a lot about feelings, and so there's feelings identification. There's helping kids understand that uh, feelings slip and slide and are not a very helpful guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times for grown-ups mm-hmm. and to really help uh, children understand that parents can get help mm. and that they might go talk to a healing feeler, mm. a feeling healer, sorry, <laughs> my dyslexia is showing. <laughs> and, um, and that uh, they may even see a doctor too, who may help their feelings not feel so blue. And the, the crux of the book is I wanted my kids to know and all, if I, you know, even one child to know that they're not responsible for mm-hmm. how parents feel. Yeah. And that they can't make people feel different things. Mm-hmm. And so it's out of that that I wrote the book. I really wanted my own children to know that they didn't cause what happened to mommy mm-hmm. and they weren't the reason for the season. Mm. Oh. So that's it. I love it. It's really you know, it means a lot to me. Yeah. And, um, and it, and it kind of shares a little bit about that mommies and daddies can get help. And, and the other important thing to me is, is I tried, uh, to make it really diverse. So, um, in terms of not just cultural characters, so there's some, uh, lots of different, uh, culture characters, um, but also if you notice, um, I love my little feel. I know they're so cute. I was telling Leslie when I saw the cover, I was like, this is, this is really fun. And then, you know, if you'll notice, um, even, uh, the grownups, they actually f- are the colors of some of the feelings that they might mm, be feeling. That's cool. So it was originally, uh, um, you know, and then here's, I know not everybody does therapy in a chair, but, um, you know, especially for kids. But remember, this isn't, uh, this is for, uh, you know, speaking about adults. So people have asked me, why doesn't this have play therapy in it? Um, because this is about uh, grownups going to therapy, uh, not, and, and explaining that to kids. Mm-hmm. It's not really about talking about children going to therapy, although certainly there's plenty of lovely books about that. Yeah. Well, I want to go back and kind of break some of it down, what you were bringing up 
The first thing to say, uh, since we've been on this series of kind of talking about multiple streams of income and growing your practice and doing things outside of the one-on-one world, um, the biggest thing that I find and that I coach people through is you're usually most successful when you bring your own story in. Um, And I mean, really, if you think, I mean, that's what this book is. It's your story. I mean, it comes from your own experience and place of pain and also the hope that you found and to give your kids. And I think that that's what makes it even more special. Um, And then the other aspect of, tell me about, you put it in a drawer why did you bring it out again? And how did you kind of get over that hump of I'm going to be judged? Because I think there is a lot of that. And we can say for all the acceptance that therapists want to give to their clients, when it comes to each other, um, we struggle and we have a lot of fears, um, shame, um, concern for being judged. How did you manage that too? It hit me one day uh, when I was, uh, I think I turned 50, and I just looked at the drawer, and I said to myself, Kelly, I just said, what do I have to lose? You know, it's not really about, well, first of all, as we learn in therapy, it's not really about you. (laughs) Remember that? (laughs) I think I have a button. (laughs) <laughs> that has it's not about you. Um, so, you know, that was part of it. And, and then I just looked at the drawer and I said to the story, I said, um, it's not for me to be approved of. It's for my, it's for a child. Hmm. And so people certainly will judge me and they can judge me. And I'm 50 years old. And so go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, here I am, world, you know, give me your rap, and, and okay, like, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and really, it's not about me anyway, if you are. So, um, I, I guess I just felt that the message was more important, mm-hmm. and that what I'm trying to do in my heart of hearts is not be a star and not be about me. It's about the children. And I wanted the kids, you know, so many, you know, kids are egocentric anyway. Mm -hmm. So when you do play therapy and you work with children, you realize that they carry a burden sometimes that they, that, that they're thinking with magical thinking and developmental thinking that they have more power than they, than they truly do. And, um, and so I just wanted to lift that a little bit. Yeah. Then you take yourself out of the equation. Yeah. And then, and then it becomes more of a gift uh, to be about um, maybe communicating. And one of the greatest gifts I got out of it is my sister has twins. And uh, at the time, I think her son was, her son and daughter twins were in middle school, in elementary. And her son went to the school library and told the librarian to order the book Aww. for the school. That's awesome. And so that was just so moving because to me that his care about that there, that he wanted to help other kids Mm. um, to have that book in his school. Yeah. Ah, 
Make me so cry. <laughs> you know, if that's the only book that got bought, like, yeah. yay. Yeah, exactly. You know? And yeah. I think, yeah, I hope people are, I'm sure people are resonating with this, but it's sort of the get out of the way, but just realizing that there's someone that needs that. And that can be a big motivator. And when our egos are wrapped up in a book, a project, a retreat, um, that's, that is a recipe for getting stuck, I think. Um, and then the other thing you brought up was the rejection. I think, you know, my experience, I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, who said that was alluding to like that sometimes I get put on a pedestal, which I think is weird. But, you know, people say, oh, look at, look at what Kelly and Miranda have created or something. But there's lots of failures behind <laughs> before we got to boot camp or before we got to Most Awesome. And I think, um, I, and I'm so appreciative of you sharing, like, you know, there's a lot of rejection that came first. Oh, yeah. And, and some people, you know, they create something and it, the immediate, like, it didn't work out, I'm done. And there's something about being persistent about knowing like, no, this needs to happen and you didn't give up. So what was that process like to be rejected and to keep going? Well, at the time, I think it, it was hurtful to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. right? You look at your work and you think, um, you know, the bigger publishers, I was in between the time of the only good works are published mm. by big companies and if you do a vanity publishing or a, um, uh, an online publishing, that that's no good. Mm -hmm. So now I think there's much more acceptance uh, for, uh, you know, we, we are in the self-publishing era. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't in that. So I had to grapple with the idea that, meh, it's not about who's publishing my book. It's about that I want to get it out there. Mm -hmm. So again, it's another bit of removing yourself. So I don't, I don't think I conquered it completely. Sometimes I just wouldn't say, you know, I just wouldn't say how it got published, <laughs> but, um, you know, so there was a little shame in it, but, sure. but I think the rejection letters were like, Oh, so I'm no good. So I'm good. And then I remembered, Oh yeah, it's not about me. Mm. Um, and I also could help myself rationalize it to the point of going, Oh, that's right. This is about a stigma topic and people don't like to write about. No, people like to write about stigma topics. People don't want to publish about that because it's a micro, um, a micro community. Yeah. Right. So that, that helped freed me. So a good defense mechanism is rationalization. So, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I've learned that, you know, Freud's, all of his defense mechanisms, mm -hmm. you know, they're also good for you. Mm -hmm. so, so don't worry about that. So if you're rationalizing and, and, you know, doing a few of those things, a little denial doesn't hurt. <laughs> uh, you know, use some of your goodies to help you break through. Yeah. And so I borrowed some of my little things uh -huh. and, and that helped me break through to be able to cope with the rejections. Mm -hmm. And and then you just do it anyway. And I'm not saying I didn't struggle because I did. Mm -hmm. And even with the republishing, you know, I, I struggled. 
nah, does anybody want to see it? Does anybody want to hear it? Should we do this? Should we not do this? You know, do I post republished? You know, and I just decided not to do that because uh, there's people who've never heard of it before. Um, but I think that that if you stick with your goal, I think what's helped me is my goal is to reach children and not just clinicians, but to help people, then, then keep your eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. And the rest is fluff of flatter. Fluff, fluff, flutter. I think that should be the shirt. The rest is fluff, fluff, flutter. <laughs> and if you can just stay focused, you know, so my goal really is with this book is reach children mm-hmm. through a grown up. Most children don't shop. Well, at least. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, then, then that's my goal. Yeah. And, and if all I do is take it, you know, carry my little book to, as a calling card and I take it here and I take it there and, and whatnot, or I do whatever, my goal is, is not to even sell it to the person, although that's nice, is to get it to the child. Yeah. I think that other aspect too, of what you were saying, like you looked around and you didn't see something that would help. And I think that's the other aspect too of knowing that what you have is unique, that there's a gap, so to speak, in in what's out there. And um, I do like your approach in that, like how you how you see like the one thing is to help children, and you do that in other ways besides this book. I mean, you do that through the trainings you give to therapists. You do that through your work with kids. You do that through your speaking. I mean. But it's still centered on that, that one, one purpose. Your one thing. <laughs> one thing for a many things person. Yeah. And I also think like you were talking about other things like training through connecting to play therapy. We do, you know, clinical trainings. We did a retreat uh, last oh, year. Yes, you did a oh. retreat. That was cool. <laughs> Called Spark It Up. Um, on 420, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> oh, you have another one coming up? Uh, we, we are working on it. So, um, and, but that was last year, 420. And, um, and, and so the gifts that, you know, the, I guess the thing that I was going to say about that is, is again, creating an opportunity for people to be able to come together and to experience something that was, you know, so that they can take that back and experience it. So to me, it was an experiential event Mm -hmm. and play is something that is experiential. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted people to uh, dig in the dirt. We wanted people to put their hands in the tray we wanted people to make uh, put feel the the um, uh, feel it, mm-hmm. and so 
uh, I started this thing with this live beach sand tray. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Isn't that crazy? I know. The sand tray is the beach. It's just so rad. <laughs> and, and the inspiration for that was seeing uh, inflatable toy and uh, pool toys. Mm-hmm. And, and so you know how you go in your, in your room and you have little figures, mm-hmm. right? I just saw these pool toys in a picture and I went, oh my God, they're big sand tray. They're big, you know, play therapy toys. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that came. And then you add some Virginia Satir and you do all that. And, and it just, and, and a couple therapists, like you're saying, what happens with rejection? I had some people say to me that, that you, that that is, was an insane idea. Yeah. Right. I've been told that a few times. (laughs) And that you're completely lost your mind Mm -hmm. and that people don't need that. Mm -hmm. And that when you do that together on the beach with these big inflatable uh, pool toys, that 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 will just be kind of faulty rawdy that there will be no movement for people personally mm. and so i said okay i get it i'm still doing it mm. so we went out to the beach and we put out all this stuff and i will have a video about that sometime and uh with the directions on how to do it and and people were blown away and I never expected people to have such an emotional reaction, Kelly, mm. but they did. And, and I was honored and it was a privilege mm. to stand on the sand with people so much so that there was even one participant. We had a, a dragon that was deflated mm. and I thought, you know, maybe we should take that out of the lineup and of the, to- of the pool toys. And, and somebody said, no, just leave it. Sure enough, a person went over and lifted that deflated dragon over their head and said something to the effect of, I'm feeling deflated. Hmm. So even in a sense of, uh, and I wouldn't say it's rejection, but questioning of your idea or thinking that you're nuts or thinking that and making you know, a sense that you, your idea is deflated, like, don't buy it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're inspired, so go with it. Yeah. And and if it's a vision you have or an idea that you have, I'm not doing it to, you know, raise a million dollars. I'm doing it because it moved me. Mm-hmm. And, and I went from my book to this live beach tray pool toy thing. <laughs> and... I don't know. It just inspired me. And now I feel like it's inspiring other people. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the joy of it? Isn't that the privilege and the fun of it and the, the work of it? Mm-hmm. If somebody comes away from that, Kelly, and is like, jamming, I'm jamming. <laughs> and then, then I did, then, then I feel like something is moving through me that, that, that it w- was cool. So if, Anyone that's watching or listening now probably has an idea of why I like you so much and why, I mean, when I, I saw, you know, like that you had the event and then I saw like this beach sand tray and I don't, I, I've told so many people about it because I think it's so smart and just 
fun. And, but behind it is your heart. And I mean, spend an hour with you and I'm sure everybody has already seen it just in us talking. And so I appreciate you sharing like just what it's been like. And I'm hoping this gives some clarity to someone that's listening. And if somebody wants to reach out to you or they want to go do some beach sand tray or uh, learn from you, how do they do that? So they can uh, reach out to me at uh, www.com. <laughs> therapy to thrive th i don't know you you got it i'll put it in the notes <laughs> i don't know how to spell all that stuff and uh and you can reach me by email and uh, also we have a uh connecting to play therapy you can google that and uh that one is not therapy to thrive is the number two but connecting to play therapy is all of our trainings and uh, we do live trainings, but we also will have some online coming up. We're doing a law and ethics at the end of September. um, And we're, we're going to do our best to live stream it. So it's law and ethics for the busy child play therapist. So we work with a lot of child and adolescents. uh, That's groovy. And then we are working to create the the next Spark It Up, uh, which will be uh, in 2018. Awesome. Usually at the beginning, like uh, April, May-ish. And we'll get that out. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Leslie, for showing up and sharing. I'm inspired. Thank you. And one last thing, you can find the book on both Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And just put in my name, Leslie Baker. You don't I'm going to put the link in. Yeah, you don't have to put any MFTs or anything. Just, just give the Baker name and poof, it'll be right there. Sweet. All right, you guys, if you have questions, comment below or check out Leslie. She's someone that you want to learn from. So, all right, till next time.